Hello, you are listening to the Plumfield Moms, and this is Plumfield Reads. Hi, I'm Diane Pendergraft, and I'm here with Sarah Masaryk, and we have today with us Tanya Arnold, Sarah Kim, and Sherry Early. Diane, we're here for our monthly book club, and we've changed it up a little bit. We've been doing that this summer, not following our normal pattern. We still have Tanya and Sarah here, um, but we've included Sherry today because Sherry is also a great lover of Gary D. Schmidt, and she loves OK For Now, like we do. And so we thought it would be really uh, fun to have all of us chatting together about this pretty intense pretty excellent um, book. So obviously right out of the gate, you know how I feel about this book. (laughs) It's my favorite of Schmidt's books. And I have read about 80% of his, uh, about 80% of his books, I think, Um, not including his couple of picture books. So by the end of this year, hopefully I'll have read everything that he has written in terms of picture books and uh, middle grade books. I'm not sure if I'm ever going to dig much into his commentary on its authors. Sherry, have you gotten into any of those? I checked out his book on Robert McCloskey mm-hmm. and I started it. And it's interesting. I only read about, I don't know, an eighth of it or something like that. But he talks about all the different books that McCloskey wrote. And then apparently he's going to talk about them again more in depth and i don't know what he's gonna say (laughs) i mean it seems like he said what there is to say hit the high points already but we'll see you have to report back and let us know if those are worth getting because i mean it's gary d schmidt he's he's excellent but what is his style like in those books um it's 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 pretty academic Mm. um it's engaging but it's Yeah, it's not fiction. Excellent. Well, friends, today we are discussing okay for now. Technically speaking, the Wednesday Wars, okay for now, just like that, are both a trilogy and are standalone books. You technically could read them individually. I would not recommend it, but you could without having any real loss of understanding. I think that there's a world that has been created. And I think if you enter into it through Wednesday Wars, go to okay for now and then go to just like that, you'll get to see the character development in a way that you wouldn't be able to do if you did them as standalones. And as is normal for our book clubs, we're going to have some general discussion right here, but we're going to presume that you have either already read The Wednesday Wars or have heard our podcast on The Wednesday Wars. So for this first part, uh, we won't have any spoilers for OK For Now for a few minutes. We'll let you know when we will. But we're going to assume that you're already familiar with the first book, The Wednesday Wars. And then when it's time for us to get into the spoilers for OK For Now, we'll let you know. And as always, we want to encourage you to read along with us, join in the conversation with us. We would love to have you join us in the BiblioGuides online community. It's a mighty network. It's totally free. You can join us in there and chat. It's a little quiet in there right now, but we're using that as an opportunity to build a lot of wonderful discussion places. And then whenever you find this podcast, whether it's you're listening to it current or you're listening to it a year from now, you can still head into that that group 
and revive those conversations, nothing makes us happier than being able to revisit beautiful books that we love. So come and chat anytime. All right. So that's kind of the the wind up and the housekeeping. This is Gary D. Schmidt. We are big fans of Gary D. Schmidt. And this is what we are considering the second book in a trilogy. And so Tanya and Sarah, this was your first time reading Okay for Now, right? I have not read Wednesday Wars. And I have not listened to your podcast. <laughs> well, I jumped in with Okay for Now because of the podcast. Right. I want to... I want to push back a little bit on what Sarah said because um, I had not read Wednesday Wars when I read Okay for really? Now for the first time. Wow. And because I'd heard of it, mm-hmm. but I think I started it and I was not terribly engaged. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, I read Okay for Now and then I went back and read Wednesday Wars and I think you can read them in any order you want <laughs> because they're just interrelated books and you pick up things uh, I picked up things in Wednesday Wars that I knew from from reading but it's not like it spoils the plot no or anything. right the, the plot is not dependent one upon another that's fair totally yeah fair. yeah so I th- I thought it was fun to go back <laughs> and read Wednesday Wars after I'd read just um okay for now oh I love that that is my plan Kwanu is going to read Wednesday Wars, so that that is my plan to go back and read it. I just didn't have time. <laughs> so when is Kwanu going to read them this year? Yes, he's going to read Wednesday Wars probably next term, mm-hmm. so you know January ish. And I don't know if I'll have him read the other ones yet. We'll see. Excellent. Yeah. Okay. Good. We'll talk about that. Tanya, what about you? You read Wednesday Wars first? Yeah. So I've only read two Gary D. Schmidt books, Wednesday Wars, but I read it mm-hmm. twice. I listened to it the first time. And then the second time I listened to it with my 17-year-old daughter. On your way to seeing us. (laughs) Yeah, on my way to Denver. And we laughed and we cried and we just, all the emotions with that story, we both loved it. Then I read Okay for Now and she was really mad when she found out that I had read it because I was preparing for the podcast. (laughs) And so we were taking a trip and heading um, to a family camping trip. So I had her and then my 18 year old nephew with me and we listened to about half of it so far on the trip there. Mm -hmm. And it was, I loved it. So I listened to the first time and then I listened to uh, half, Mm -hmm. right? Halfway through. And my nephew said, this is so familiar to me. I feel like I've read this. And then it got to a point where he's like, I don't recognize the story anymore. And he, but he was so engaged in it. And my daughter was so engaged into it. And we laughed and we cried and we stopped and we talked about what was happening. And he said he felt like he must have read it when he was younger and not, it didn't capture him when he was younger the way it was capturing him now. So I thought this was fascinating because these are kids that are on the brink of adulthood, right? Or they're, they're very young adults. Um, and my feeling about the reading order is that you can read Mm -hmm. them independently. Like I think my nephew, I don't think he'd read the Wednesday Wars and he was engaging with it in the same way the Sherry was. My feeling, though, is it, it, it's a slight nuance, but I just feel like it's so powerful because you start, if you read Wednesday Wars first, you start okay for now with just a hair of a feeling about who Doug is. Like he sets something in your mind that Doug is kind of like maybe a little bit of a troublemaker yeah. and or maybe a class clown 
um, not someone doing horrible, awful things, but probably someone that's kind of doing things that you wouldn't want your kid hanging out with yeah, that kid. Exactly. <laughs> type of yeah. kid. Right. So you've kind you're like you're not really sure, but he sets it up in Wednesday Wars where, you know, there's this list of four hundred things or four hundred and fifty things that Doug's Wyatek wrote and four hundred and ten might be this one that might send you to jail or to whatever. make your teacher so hate like, you. Yeah. To, yeah. And so you're kind of getting this feel of who Doug is. And so you it, you might if you read Wednesday Wars, you're walking into it with some assumptions that you made from the first book and then you get challenged. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And that's there what I that. think is that especially for a child, like the whole book does that. It sets you up, it challenges you, it sets you up, it challenges you. I think that one of if you don't read Wednesday Wars first, I think there's a really powerful aspect of okay for now that you would miss and that has to do with Doug's brother. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. you get He's pretty prominent in Wednesday Wars, and you think all kinds of horrible things yeah. about him. You do, yeah, for sure. Yeah. His oldest yeah, so brother, two or the, the middle, middle brother? no, the middle the one, middle brother, middle yeah. brother. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the middle brother is, you know, they, what, what does Gary Dishman always say in Wednesday Wars that the middle brother is the one who's destined for the penitentiary. Mm-hmm. So Doug Zwietek's mm-hmm. brother, who's going to, who's destined for the penitentiary. That's that's how he's described constantly. I definitely got that feeling just from okay for now. <laughs> yeah, I and he, like it's more character. prominent though, yeah. from Wednesday yeah. Wars. Yeah, because he says yeah. he yeah. says Doug's um, Doug said that his brother would be on death row if his dad hadn't bribed the judge, oh. and we all believed him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's how bad we we think he is. Right, and he's pretty bad. He is pretty. He bad. does terrible things to hauling. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. The other thing that I think comes in that is powerful in Okay for Now is just the love of baseball and the people that are important in yes. baseball. And so I don't 100% relate because we just don't love baseball. I don't really care right. about baseball cards and I don't care about stats. <laughs> and it's not my thing, but I understand that that has been an important aspect mm-hmm. of just American childhood, especially through the 50s and 60s or 40s, 50s and 60s. And this book is set in 1969. But when you're starting with Wednesday Wars, you have some experiences with some baseball players. And then that kind of flows through and you understand the importance. Like when you get to the chapter where there's the company party Mm -hmm. and you recognize who the baseball's signed by that they can win, it just has a little bit powerful meaning to you because of the experiences in Wednesday Wars. Mm -hmm. So there's some tie-ins, but yet it's not necessary. Yeah, they, but I think it kind of lays a foundation that could be different for your experience if you start with Wednesday Wars. It reminds me a lot of the Finding Langston trilogy. I don't know if any of you have read those books, but it's also a trilogy. But they're standalone mm. and there's overlapping characters. And when you read the first one, you get introduced to like a classmate who you feel is a bully uh, and all of this. And then in the second book, you get their backstory yeah. and you get a much deeper understanding for who they are. And it deals with a lot of these same kind of challenging situations that these kids are going through. They're around the same age, um, but it takes place um, like from with the great migration. So all the main characters are black children. Um, some of them from the South who are now in the North, some who were like living in Chicago and, it's also a really powerful, wow. excellent series. It feels like the setup for it is very similar. To wow. When were those written? Yeah. Um, they were written in 2018. 
2020 and 2021. Okay, so they came after these books. Yeah, very recent. Interesting. Very mm-hmm. interesting. I like books like these where the characters come up. They're not exact. You know, I wouldn't even have called this a trilogy, but because they are standalone books, mm-hmm. but various like minor characters come up in yes. other books. I think about um, Madeline Engel's books where the characters are intertwined in all the different books. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes a minor character becomes a major character in another book and that kind of thing. And even the Narnia books are kind of yeah, like I was that. Say the same thing. They do have an order, mm-hmm. but you know, different characters take prominence uh, in different books and, and you hear mentions of what happened to other ones. I, I just, I like that whole, um, I don't know, scheme yeah. <laughs> of writing. It's fun. It's And Gary D. Schmidt does it extremely well. We, we yes. are finding that almost all of his American books, also I, I will categorize them as American books, are interconnected some way, somehow. Um, maybe not all, not basically all the books talk to each other. Not necessarily every book is talking to every other book, but one right. really super right. fun, you know, so you look at Lizzie Bright and the Buckminster boy, that one has a book that it's referencing and it's, re- and then it references another. And it, it, it's just interesting to see that it connects to multiple books. And um, it was a real thrill for me when we were reading the labors of Hercules Beale to see, um, to see Danny Huffner, is now he's ex-military and he's a teacher and he's married and he he it turned out okay for him he's happy and that just <laughs> matters to me a lot that Danny Hupfer is happy so Sarah Danny <laughs> Hupfer is from the Wednesday Wars he's the little he's one of the three boys and the three boys are Ducks Wyatt Colleen and Danny Hupfer and um, and and Danny can reference what happens in just like that as well in the labors of Hercules Beale. So there's this whole interconnectivity that's really very rewarding to find. It's like Nate Wilson's books too. They all connect. And when you read the door before and find out they literally all connect, it just kind of blows your mind. Becomes a fun treasure hunt. <laughs> well, I think he's saying something in that, that, all his books connect mm-hmm. and and that there are so many um allusions in like in okay for now and in his other books to other literature that it all connects yeah. you know in the great story or yes, whatever you want to call yes. it um so or the great conversation yeah. or however you put it uh you know i think i think he's consciously doing that but very subtly it's not you know, overdone. No, he's not hitting either. you over the head with it. Look at what I did. Ha ha ha. ha. Isn't that cool? It's not yeah. like that at all. Yeah. Just like, oh, wait a minute. That's that's so-and-so. And they did such and such. And, and uh, or the mm-hmm. reverend who marries them. <gasps> that's. <laughs> well, friends, I think we're going to move into the part of this conversation now where we're going to talk about this book. And so let's first and foremost draw people's attention to the fact that this book deals with very difficult topics and we have done a thorough review of it on our website so please go and check that review before you just hand this book over to your children 
Um, and also, for that matter, you may want to be careful about how many little people are listening in on this conversation here today. So I'm giving you a little bit of warning so that you have the opportunity to grab your device and pause it and bookmark it for another time if you have little people around you. So um, it's important to note that the sad things we're going to be talking about, uh, hard things we're going to be talking about, don't really happen on scene. But it's very crystal clear that this book deals with domestic violence in a variety of schemes. And um, that these that the, the root of all of this trouble really comes from um, some really tremendously difficult things like alcoholism and abuse and, and all of the kind of terrible lifestyle complications that um, exist around that. So moms, this book has a beautiful tie-in with John James Audubon and Jane Eyre and and baseball. <laughs> as far as literature goes, that's Jane Eyre was a pretty hefty chunk considering the fact that we find out Doug didn't know how to read. Yes, yeah. And then Jane Eyre is the first book he has to read in his literature class. So it's yes. not like Wednesday Wars where he's reading all of these Shakespeare books. Um that that's enough. One one of those is enough for him. Yes. One book is So it's the Audubon, it's the artwork that follows through this one like Shakespeare does in Wednesday okay. Wars. Which is a really, to me, was a very compelling and wonderful thing to see. First of all, Schmidt's range, his love of so many different mediums for storytelling. He mm -hmm. really clearly sets a, makes it clear to us that he loves story in all of its incarnations, whether it is theater or it is print or it is told story or it is told through art. So this is our music. Our music. Yes. Yes. So moms, here we go. This is the point where we're going to talk about the story. Spoilers will commence. And so if you haven't read yet and you don't want any spoilers, just bookmark this and come back. Do we want to talk about how it's told in first person and the voice of the story? I watched an interview with him that is on Internet Archive. I listened to the audiobook mm -hmm. as well on vacation. So I don't have any notes. And so I was looking to see if the book was on Internet Archive and I came across an interview. So instead of reviewing the book, I listened to this interview with Gary D. Schmidt. <laughs> but he talked about how he started writing this book in third person and it was falling flat wow. and he could not get it to work. And so he decided to try first person and it just took off, shined and yeah, it just took off, which I think is just kind of fascinating insight into the writing process. That's amazing to me because I was thinking about how he uses the personality and the voice of Doug to further the plot and stuff and to to, to hide certain things yeah. and then and then reveal them because that's part of who Doug right. is. He's hiding a lot mm -hmm. of things. Um, you know, and if you if you had a omniscient third person narrator I think it would be more difficult to, to not, I mean, you'd know from the beginning what was going on and you, there wouldn't be any suspense to it or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. No, that's a great point, Sherry. You can't ignore what's going on if it's a third person 
omniscient narrator, you would see the abuse happening. You would you would see all the mechanics of the family. But you're right. If it's told through the point of view of Doug, he's only seeing what he wants to see or what he's allowing himself to see. And what he's willing to tell you as the reader, because he'll tell you like, oh, that's none of your yeah. business. <laughs> it's really interesting, his voice, yeah. right? Like <laughs> he's clearly telling a story and deciding to hold certain things back because he's not comfortable sharing them. Yeah. And he's sometimes unreliable. He lies, you know, He or he says, he'll say uh, over and over, I'm not lying. <laughs> you know, I'm not lying. Da, 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 da. I'm not lying. Sometimes he just is misinterpreting things or changing his mind about how to interpret things. Because when he first mm-hmm. talks about the very first picture of the bird that he sees at the beginning, he says that it's falling and nothing in the world cares and, and there's, you know, nothing to stop it. And then, then later he, he changes his perspective on that a little bit. Maybe he wasn't completely alone. It's just all that you could see in the picture. Yeah. But yeah, that he mentioned that actually in the interview, he said, you know, obviously the bird is fishing, but that's not how Doug interprets it. And he talked about how art like helps you kind of interpret yourself and your circumstances. And so he's, this is what he's taking from this art, right? Is what he sort of is feeling. It's helping him like describe and be able to like understand himself a little bit better and what he's going through. Mm -hmm. It was really interesting. Mm -hmm. Right. Because when Mr. Powell starts to teach him how to draw those birds, he has to look at them in a completely different way than just somebody who's observing a piece of art. Oh, look, that bird is falling. But then when Mr. Powell starts telling him, no, you have to make the movement happen and and all the different things that he's teaching him, then he sees it in a way that he would never have seen it before. And then it teaches him to see other things that way too. You know, one of the things you often say, Diane, is that one of the things we love about Gary D. Schmidt is that he lets us be where these characters are, but he does not leave them there. And I was thinking about what you're saying with the perspective of the art, the genius of using Audubon as one of the mediums for this, one of the inspirations for this, is that it allows, as as Doug learns to look at the paintings and understand what Audubon was doing with perspective, as he learns from Mr. Powell how to make choices about how to show the wing, like how to represent the wing that you you only paint a couple of feathers because you can't paint all of them and or sketch all of them. I'm thinking about how this is about framing, about what's in the center of the picture, what's included, what's not included. This is also what Gary D. Schmidt does with his writing is he lets us see what we're supposed to see and he keeps away what we're not supposed to see so that the the, the, arc, the Arctic turn can be in focus for us. But because there are so many prints, we get more and more of the story. Each chapter has another bird. We get more and more of the necessary story. We're not leaving the Arctic turn in its dive. We're going to end up with the other birds who are happy. And we're going to see more of Doug's story because of that. I, this is genius. What, what, what Schmidt has done here is it's genius. You don't just think to do this. Yes. Yeah. And the art is also like central to what Doug is trying to get from his life. Like he wants something in his life to be whole. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. he wants this book that he realizes the town is selling off the prints because you can make a lot more money 
selling them off one by one instead of the entire book. And so the book is being taken apart and he wants it to be all together. He wants it to be whole. And that's what he wants from his, his life, at least like one small aspect yes. of it. Um, Cause so there's so much chaos. And I think that's the question of the whole story, right? Is how much brokenness can be made whole again? Mm-hmm. And, and can we make it whole? And what were, what are the aspects that would have to happen to bring something back to wholeness? Mm-hmm. Like that very, it's such a human question of, how does that happen? And I think also the brilliance of it is that it it doesn't end tied up with a bow, mm, no. but it ends whole yeah. in a way that you wouldn't expect. But it's also done through relationships, through I grew up in a small town, and what I loved is the sense of community mm-hmm. and how all of these different people <laughs> yeah. made an impact yeah. in his life, mm-hmm. some less some more some just in certain ways like there wasn't anyone that came in and was the sweeping mentor for him but there were so many people that had an effect on him for the better and you just see that growing throughout the story so you just have this sense of community and then you have the arts Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and you have baseball you have the love of sports and friendship all while you're struggling with really difficult things. So you never feel left in hopelessness. And I think one thing that parents would like to know is I think many people can get frustrated when the word stupid and jerk mm-hmm. are used a lot in a book. And a lot of times we hear that as just cruelty sometimes. Maybe you'll be reading a book and your siblings are calling each other mm-hmm. stupid. You're just stupid. And we hear Doug use the word stupid, but you hear it from his hurt. Yeah. Yeah. It's, that's and right. that feels so different to That's me, right. right? So you're you're when you're in Doug's when you're listening to his thoughts, I feel like he is absolutely true to himself. And he's allowing you to see and not see certain things. And at one point like the way you find out that his father is abusive is he says my father has quick hands. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you know it, but it's it's not explicit, but it's powerful. Yeah. And then when he gets hurt, there's a chapter that just, I was just listening to it again today, but it's the one where he's in fight after fight after fight after fight. And some of them he's not starting, right. but he's participating, right. right? Like he's protecting himself and he's just, he's angry and he's using the word stupid. Mm-hmm. And I need to go find the quote, but at the end, he just, he relates it to one of the pictures of one of the birds. Mm-hmm. And he's like, that bird just it was like he fell from the sky and died. I'm going to have to go find the quote because it's so much better mm-hmm. than that. And it's just everything that he's feeling is also showing up for him in each of these paintings. And I just really related to his anguish and his pain. And then and then they turn it around and something kind of awesome happens <laughs> that isn't much and yet is so much. Right? Like small things are actually big things, but they're really just small things. Because small is beautiful. Yeah. Because small things matter. Yeah. And all the small wins matter for him. Yeah. So, and actually, this is kind of an important thing. There was an incident that happens in the story that kind of broke me. I just thought, oh my goodness, that's horrifying. And it's the tattoo. I know. It's what I, as you've been talking, that's what I get. I don't know why that's where my brain's going. (laughs) So that's the preface of when he starts getting into the fight. So it's written in this really clever way where we find out that he's constantly trying to switch teams in basketball and PE 
because there's the shirts and the skins yeah. or something like that. So you're either on the team that's wearing a shirt or you're on the team that's not wearing and a shirt. And this coach he's constantly trying is just hell-bent on making sure that Doug Zwiatek is on the skins team, no matter what. But maybe it's just me, but that was the PE teachers I had. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, this is horrifying because – and I'm listening to it with my um, 17-year-old who – she was public schooled, but I didn't allow any of my children to take PE <laughs> because I hated PE, mm-hmm. not because I hated sports or physical activity, right. but because of some of the things that happen in locker yes. rooms and because of the mm-hmm. coaches. Why are the coaches crazy? <laughs> I don't know. And he's writing about it, and I thought that's not – it's not odd. I think a lot of us who are in – Gym classes in the 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s. Can we have go, these memories. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we have these memories. Yeah. I mean, I'm not alone in that, no, I think. <laughs> so, so you find out that he's kind of constantly switching around and the coach keeps getting mad, but Doug keeps doing it. And, you're, and part of me is thinking, what? Why are you just, are you just trying to bring suffering upon yourself? And then you find out, you know, that. The coach goes to kind of grab him because he's angry, not like in an abusive way necessarily, but in a way that would not be allowed today. (laughs) Absolutely. Like my kids and I are horrified and his shirt tears and you find out that he has a tattoo on Mm -hmm. his chest and then he tells the story. Well, he runs and finally a teacher who does care for him says, chases him down is like, tell me, Mm -hmm. tell me, you know, you have to tell me. And then Doug tells the story of basically a, a drunken father forcing this tattoo And then the next chapter is him just getting in fights. Mm -hmm. It's really amazing to me that he keeps telling the story by it's, it's analogous to when he starts drawing and they tell the draw, Mr. Powell tells him that you draw by showing what the white space is, or it's like, there are things that are happening outside the story sort of, that you know that frame the story right. at one point his mom is not in the room because he's he's been gone and he comes back and his mom's upstairs and his brother tells him well you know why she's upstairs because she doesn't want you to see what, what he did to her his father has done mm-hmm. to her but she's off stage right. you know you don't you don't mm-hmm. know exactly what but you know what's going right. on. Or when she gives him the she gives him the 50 cents to go get the milk because she knows what's coming. Right. So he takes the money and yeah. goes then it's left to your imagination. It's the white space. But you with the fights, you don't know exactly what's going on, but you do know. Right. You know that the kids have been teasing him and that they've been calling him mama's baby because that's what the tattoo says mm-hmm. and and that's why he's getting into the fights but he doesn't tell you that specifically mm-hmm. it's all off sort of off state yeah i think that's important for parents to know that that's how we find out most of the bad stuff right is something really subtle like that and there was a part that i i thought this was really beautiful because um the police have come to his doug's house and start asking questions about his brother. Mm-hmm. And they think that he has stolen something. And the brother runs upstairs. And um, Doug says, when I finally did go upstairs, all the lights were off and my brother was in bed. The covers were drawn up over his head. You know, when someone has been crying, something gets left in the air. It's not something you can see or smell or feel or draw, but it's there. It's like the screech of the black-backed gull crying out into the empty white space around him. 
You can't hear it when you look at the picture, but that doesn't mean it isn't there. That's a really beautiful way of saying my brother was under the covers crying. Right. Because that's how intense that is to Doug to know that his brother is crying because somebody thinks he's stolen something. And from the backstory that we know in um, Wednesday Wars, we totally could believe it. We actually are very quick to believe him, to believe the Mm -hmm. accusations against his brother. And I think you can probably, I mean, Sarah, specifically, you haven't read Wednesday Wars. Did you believe that Doug Zwietek's brother was guilty? I didn't. No. See, I... Not having that backstory made me believe him. Yeah. And so, and that's okay because you know what? That's, that's a good, that's a good thing for his brother, right? His brother needs somebody to be on his side. (laughs) Well, I didn't believe it because, because Doug says the first time that his brother's accused of this, Doug says, no, he, he didn't do it. He was here. He was at home the whole time. And I, by that time I've come to trust, to trust Doug as a narrator, even though he lies and to, even though he lies, because usually when he lies, he immediately will say, no, that's a lie. Right. True, I, did, true, I, true. I, I, I didn't mean it, you know? So I, I just, I trust, I thought, well, if his brother says he was home, then he must've been home and he couldn't have done it. <laughs> I found myself to be very confused by that. I have to admit, because my instinct was to believe that his brother was guilty but then to hear Doug say otherwise, I'm like, what is going on here? I was genuinely, genuinely confused. Yeah. I want to go back to something you guys said before about the one thing Doug wants is something in his life to be made whole. In the book, it's being cut apart. And I was thinking a lot about recently about how much uh, book repair as librarians we do, how many books come back and you know, using filmoplast or using glue and putting pages back in or fixing spines. Or I bought, um, I bought a landmark that I had been waiting for for months. I bought it in completely destroyed condition for $12 because I figured, well, it's a $12 risk. I can try to fix it. And I was able to fix it. And I was thinking about how the book is precious to me even though it's been repaired and looks like it's been repaired, it's actually precious to me because I helped to repair it. And I'm, I was thinking about how in Doug's life, nothing is ever going to be whole. There's been too much ripping apart. There's been too much abuse and too much damage for it to ever be a pristine, brand new, perfect mint condition book kind of thing. But his, his, Life can be like the Audubon that's been put back together as the plates are put back in and are are bound back into the binding. His life can resemble a book that has been lovingly put back together. And I love that in Carter Jones, we find out that Doug is happy in the end because the principal of Carter Jones's school is Doug Zwietek's wife. And so it's really fun to know that Doug Zwietek's wife has uh, her husband. She went to England with her husband where he was a professional artist. And now they've come back stateside and they're happy. 
So thank you, Gary D. Schmidt, for giving my boys happy endings. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, even though it's like a broken world, a really challenging situation, there's still a lot for us to love about the world. And there's still hope there for all of us. And I think one of the other things that really stood out to me in that interview with the author was that he said his main purpose for writing is to serve his readers. Mm. And he really wants to offer them something of value. And he said, if you're just writing for money or if you're just writing because you're cynical Mm. and you want to impart cynicism, then that's an awful thing to do, he said. And we see that a lot. And he's saying, no, you know, he wants the kids to say he wants them to rejoice, to rejoice in the world and find out that there is, there are things to love and there's still beauty despite all the hard things and despite the brokenness. I thought that was really beautiful. Oh, that is. You know, sometimes I think we have children's books where people say, well, you can't have a perfect ending. Mm. And first of all, I don't know that I agree with that because I think there are a lot of hard things in life, but I also think that there are a lot of perfect endings. There are a lot of yeah. people with 50 plus year marriages yeah. and they're successful. Yeah. There, There is. And I think in the end end, mm-hmm. there is a perfect ending. Mm-hmm. So I think if you're looking for like the higher level, all things are going to be repaired and restored. I don't know how that's going to work out, but I believe mm-hmm. that. So I think recognizing here that even if you're having a life with hard things, there's going to be enough beautiful, good things happening that you can also choose to focus on the good or you can focus on the bad. And whatever you focus on is what will be more prevalent in your life or feel more yeah, prevalent. Take up more space in so your you mind have, and heart. Yeah. And Jen and I have this thing that we talk to the kids about where if you're going on a walk and you're looking down at the sidewalk, you can focus on the cracks mm-hmm. or not focus on the cracks. Right. And if you focus on the cracks, all you will see are cracks Mm. because that's what you're looking for. And so I love your, we're having this story with Doug and he, you hear these kind of like hard things and it feels, it just makes your heart ache. Mm -hmm. And yet at the same time, there's so many beautiful, great things. There's families that he delivers to. There's the relationship with Lil. There's there's things that unfold with his family mm-hmm. that are actually really, really healing things. There's a really, yeah. So healing. And his mother, like the way he loves his mm-hmm. mom. Oh, I just, it makes me cry when he says there's no one in the world. There's not a Hollywood actress out there that can smile the way my mother can yes. smile. And the way he loves to hear that yes. smile. And I think how he even yearns for his father's approval. Mm-hmm. Or um, even the restoration between his oldest brother and the gym teacher, bringing those two men together so they can promote yeah. healing in each other. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, it's just, so you hear, you feel his yeah. pain, but you also see all these little ways in which there's a teacher who finds out that he can't oh, read and sets up a way for them to gently. perfect how she did that? Oh. It was awesome. It was awesome from the teacher who realized it to talking to another yes. teacher to doing it in a way that was eloquent and kind and respectful Absolutely. of him. And mm-hmm. and then just how he grows through that. And then just to find out there was a, a librarian essentially that mm-hmm. gently mentored him and 
becoming an artist mm-hmm. and drawing and saw that yearning in him for it to to the different relationships that he had, even with like his father's boss. Yeah. Oh, how <laughs> special is that? His because there's there's a part of the story here that's not told, right? This again is that white space mm-hmm. or what to include and what not to include. It's pretty clear that Doug's father's boss is has become savvy to what's going on here. And he's done some small things to help, but Doug's on his radar and he is going to take care of Doug down the road. And I love that. I love that. There's, I can, I feel free imagining that he's the one that sends Doug to college and things like that, or sends Doug to art school mm-hmm. because he wants to make it up to Doug. I love that. Yeah. And the too. cold Coke. I cannot see a Coca-Cola now. And not think of Gary D. Schmidt because he's got a cold bottle of Coke in like multiple books. It must be his signature thing. <laughs> and who drinks a Coke like that? Nobody I know. Nobody. That's <laughs> <was> horrible. <laughs> a 12 or 13 year old kid. Right, right. Yeah, right. right. <laughs> That's who. I, I do want to share that quote from earlier because I just found it. So after it's discovered that he has this tattoo, mm. he's it just kind of breaks him and he feels like everyone's kind of making fun of him. He's getting that look everywhere he goes. And he's like, because no matter where I went in stupid Washington Irving Junior High School, there was the look and the laugh and the smirk, jerks. Mm. And no matter where I went in stupid Marysville, there was the look and the laugh and the smirk, jerks. Do you know what that feels like? I stopped helping Miss Cowper with her county literacy unit. Who were we kidding? So basically he's like, I'm going to stop reading. Right. I did do the Saturday deliveries. Guess who wanted the money and wouldn't let me stop? I didn't meet Mr. Powell at the library afterward either. I don't know if Lil was waiting there or not. I didn't draw anymore. I didn't even want to. So he basically is like quitting on yeah, his life. quitting on his life. All the beautiful mm-hmm. aspects. Yeah. And then it says, it was like the black-backed gull had laid its head down and given up the sky. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, yeah. Can you say it any better yeah. than that to get across to the audience through well, an Audubon right. painting? I just, yeah. it's brilliant. It brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the other thing. The writing in this book is so good. It's not um, overwrought mm-hmm. or um, adult-level even but his descriptions of just things like the weather and stuff and the um the metaphors that he uses and stuff are so good good. yeah they're they're just um yeah i i think he's an excellent not only an excellent storyteller but an just an excellent writer yeah Mm -hmm. he is clearly an excellent reader because it, all of his books are referencing so many classics. You can feel the classics speaking out through his books, whether they're as obvious in the Wednesday Wars as, or, or here or not. He is a, an excellent reader who is channeling some of that. And I think his books are It's tremendous. like C.S. Lewis. Yeah. Where explicitly his reading comes out, and I think a lot of times – he doesn't even know his reading is coming out in his writing. Mm-hmm. So we can't find the references, but they have to be there mm-hmm. because it just pours out. It's packed in there so tight that it pours out and, and he can't help it. 
Well, and then sometimes it's just, it's definitely, he did it on purpose. He names all of his characters. I don't know about all of them, but you know, you, you, you pick up on all the characters names and the, you go, Oh, wait a minute. Those are the children from five little peppers. <laughs> um, I wanted to make a list and I think we should make a joint list and and see because I'm pretty sure I didn't catch them right. all. There's just you know there's so just so many. I mean it's not it's a fleeting thing. It, like I said, the, there are five children in the story that are named after the five little peppers and how they grew. <laughs> you know he doesn't say anything about five little peppers. He doesn't talk no because about Doug the book wouldn't know. Doug wouldn't know exactly. That, that's who they are. <laughs> And I loved the books that he read to them too. We talked oh, about yeah. that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but he he references them without naming them. Mm-hmm. And that was really fun to rec- recognize like the Freddy the Pig books. And Oh, he talks about um, Tiki Tiki Timbo, No Saw Rimbo. <laughs> Only he doesn't know how to say it. So he says something, but you, he gets just enough of it to know that that's what he's referring to. Well, that's what I loved about the way he did that without saying the names is it's because they are not familiar to Doug. They're familiar to us and to the kids Mm -hmm. that he was reading to, but they're just out of nowhere for him because he couldn't read and nobody was reading to him. Yeah, it's great. One other thing I wanted to make sure that we mentioned, and it goes along with, you know, the white space and, and all the things that aren't said, but I, I think it's probably harder to catch if you didn't read Wednesday Wars because through that whole book it's Doug's Wyatek's brother it's Doug's Wyatek's brother we don't know his name and he continues that way until the brother comes home from Vietnam and Doug's brother goes up to the older brother to carry him in the house and he says tell me if I'm hurting you and then the brother thanks him or something. And he says, anytime. And all of a sudden, the brother has a name. And from then on, Doug uses the brother's name probably more often than is necessary. And, it, and it's like he became a person right then. And the name itself is significant, too. His name is Christopher, mm-hmm. which is Christ bearer. You know, and he's carrying his brother. Yeah. Well, and isn't it fascinating that he did that in Wednesday Wars also? With the sister. Because Hauling's mm-hmm. sister was never right. named until she's run away and she's calling him. Almost the end, yeah. Almost mm-hmm. the end of the book. So he does that twice. And her name was... Heather. Heather. Okay, yeah, I just want to go back. But in Chapter 8, Doug is supposed to be reading to each of the children. And Bronzy, it's a book where an elephant wears clothes. And Joel is a book about a boy who can jump to the top of the castle. And Diane knew which book that was. What book is that, Diane? It's called The Big Jump. Okay, so let's start. So the elephant who wears clothes, obviously, is Barbar. Yeah. And then a book about a boy who can jump to the top of the castle, Diane is. That's called The Big Jump. And it was kind of an early reader. Yeah. So the cover you showed me was The Big Jump and Other Stories by Benjamin Elkin. That's actually great. Uh, Gary D. Schmitz, one of his most um, influential books was The Big Jump. What? He talked about that a lot. Really? And he said <laughs> how he, his storytelling is telling like the story of that story, like over and over and oh. over again. Like how children, how do they move really? into adulthood 
Okay. And you have to give us the link to that interview. Yes, I'll definitely put that in the show notes. Polly was a book about a house in the forest with a girl named Lara. So little house in the big woods. Mm-hmm. Ben was a pig that goes to Florida. And there were lots of books. <laughs> we recognize that as Freddy the pig. Oh, and then I don't. I didn't write down what the clue was, but it was Davy. And I thought it was Tiki Tiki Tempo also. Mm-hmm. So I loved that, that if you have been reading some of these older books, you, you do have these little Easter eggs that you can find throughout and how much he loves literature, art, plays, music. What a way to inspire our youth to want to know more, to write, to want to read Jane Eyre. Did you guys, maybe it's just me that thought this quote was really funny. Um, where he's starting to actually be able to read. So he's learning to read now which he's been avoiding because he didn't know how to read. And they're reading Jane Eyre. Let's see. On Saturday mornings during deliveries, I'd practice picking out new words in Jane Eyre, sounding out the ones that needed sounding out. And I'm not lying. There were plenty. A new servitude. There is something in that. I soliloquized. I mean, who talks like that? Do you know how long it takes to sound out a word like, soliloquize? (laughs) Even after you do, you have no idea what the stupid word means, except that it probably just means said, which is what (laughs) stupid Charlotte Bronte should have said in the first place. When I delivered Miss Mason's groceries, she saw that I had Jane Eyre stuck under my arm. Oh, she said, that was my favorite novel in school. It was, I soliloquized. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I just think it's funny and humorous and charming. I think both Holling and Doug, I think, are charming in their own ways and quirky and interesting. And I think that's – he really brings both characters to life. And they're real. So real. They're not pretending to each other. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, not – not he doesn't use the same voice. And we've read – several of his books the and they're about 12 13 year old boys but none of the boys is it's not the same voice every time it's not the same child no his range is incredible and and the backgrounds that he draws from you can tell that he's just had had a lot of life experiences because some of them are like lizzie bright you know is happening over on the coast and it's kind of then um and just like that, we end up over there where you can be in the same community. But it's all these different backgrounds and things that he's done. He hasn't just sat in an office and taught literature. I just finished <laughs> Straw into Gold, which is his Rumpelstiltskin retelling. And it's fascinating because he wrote it because he and his wife were sitting by the fire one night contemplating why did Rumpelstiltskin want queen's baby so much and so he he makes a story he spins gold out of the straw of that fairy tale into this marvelous little story i cannot wait i haven't written the review for it yet but it will be a very soon um it's a marvelous story and it's a completely different style than all these other books that he's written but again it's just him looking at how can i tell a story by asking a question about it from another perspective. What if we look at the Arctic turn differently? What do we see? 
Well, I have to say this before we finish because I just need to get this out there. I read Okay for Now when it first came out in 20-whatever it was. And, and at the same time, I was reading a lot of other books that were pu- uh, middle-grade fiction books that were published that mm-hmm. year. And, you know, the game is always to try to predict what will win the Newbery right. Award or at least an honor or something. Right. And my prediction was that, okay, for now should win the Newbery. And I had read quite a few of the books that came out that whatever year it was, awesome. I can't remember now. And so I, and I was extremely disappointed when it didn't win. No. Not only didn't win the Newbery, but didn't win any awards at all. Um, recognition mm-hmm. in that from that group at all don't know why read the book that did win the Newbery award thought it was uh yeah okay <laughs> but this uh i think this okay for now is the best gary d schmidt book i've read yeah. and i think it was the best book published that year yeah yeah still do i think he was cheated yeah Mm-hmm. But it, it does make you question why some books are chosen and why other books aren't. Mm-hmm. And this one, you know, we're we're moving a lot towards, I think Sarah talked about this earlier, but cynicism and just this realism that lacks hope or even, I mean, in my mind, there is a lot of beauty and joy in life, even though life is hard. And it's like we're just removing some of that and just only showing these gritty stories even to our children. And I, I don't think that's real or true. And one of the things that I loved about that is this story is that you have all of these interactions with adults and Doug. Mm-hmm. And so you have even the P do you have the PE teacher, but then you see there's a story. There's so many story arcs. There's a story arc with the PE teacher. There's a story arc with the English teacher and the science teacher. There's a story arc with the principal. And then you have his dad's boss and you have, the police officer and his family who he ends up babysitting for. And you have all the people that he makes deliveries to. And so you have over and over and over again, these interesting adults that are showing up in really meaningful ways in his life. While you also have an adult like his father, who's showing up in a really broken way in his life. And it, it shows you that adults can be really amazing and important in a kid's life. And it doesn't always have to be your dad. Like maybe you are from a broken family but you're still not alone. There are still going to be other people. And I think all of us can probably think back to some adults who did have that kind of an influence in our lives in some way. And especially when you're under 18, it really does influence your whole life. And I just think this okay for now shows that while it also shows domestic Mm -hmm. abuse, difficult sibling relationships, Mm -hmm. interactions with the law, hard situations at school, crazy PE teachers and PE (laughs) classroom dynamics, which is happening in public schools, Mm -hmm. while it's also showing brokenness with war and a sibling coming home who's wounded. Mm -hmm. Can you like, this is all done in um, like under 300 pages. I think. Yeah. It is. Oh, 350 ish pages. It's wild. The number of, and we have not without feeling like, and we've not even talked about the fact that Jane Eyre becomes adapted as a play, and he and Lil are in the play. Like, 
Or the baseball stuff. Right. The, the baseball stuff. Or, like, there's so much in this book. And Lil gets and, sick. Like, there's so, yeah. It's oh, just, Lil is, is it leukemia? Yeah. I mean, it's and so just, much here. And just to clarify, the Audubon paintings are central, central. to the story. They are the driving Every single force. chapter. Yes. Yes. And so every chapter. So we, I listened to it. And then I went for the plates for these paintings. I'm like, <laughs> what are the plates? And when I went and checked out the book from the library, just so people know, and I think that's kind of, this is kind of awesome. They put the plate at the, you know, the beginning but of the chapter. But it's in black and white. But it's in black right. and white and it's definitely no. not as striking. Um, but once you recognize that these are the driving force mm. and everything connects to his interpretation of those paintings in each chapter – I just think the people that were looking for the Newberry Award winners didn't pay enough attention or spend enough time with this book. They probably should have given it a second read because on my second read, and maybe for those of you that have read it more than once, you find there's layers and layers. Yes. I mean, I've read this book three times Mm -hmm. and I'm sure that I've only begun to peel back what's in this. I've only read just like that once and Diane and I have already started to ruminate over, no, wait. It feels like Oliver Twist, but it also feels like David Copperfield. I mean, isn't that Peggy? I mean, there's so much in all of his books. He really is one of those authors who can bear many readings. But I still think, I don't even know, Tanya, how they could have, how one reading wouldn't have been enough to be compelling. Yeah. I think I think the Newbery Award people have been criticized for choosing books that were too literary and not uh, didn't have enough kid appeal Mm. didn't have enough um and so i think in the past 10 or 15 years they've been trying to move a little bit away from that and choose books that were more um popular more uh and and then there's been the whole uh emphasis on diversity and that kind of thing too and so I I think I think all of that figures into to the choices that they made. Well, that's too bad that they yeah. can't just choose the best book. Yeah, and we talked about that before. I think in in another podcast, I think Tanya talked about it about how um, we're not inspiring the kids. Like he said, he wants to serve them. These are like twelve, thirteen year olds. They're dealing with all these different things. There are these, like Tanya was saying, bad examples in their life and good examples. And they're at that point in their life where they're going to choose like for themselves. What are they going to pay attention to? What are they going to believe for themselves? And so if we're giving books to our kids that are cynical or that are, you know, we think they're going to appeal to them and it's just like showing them the ugliness of their life, that's just driving them to focus more on the ugly instead of showing them. There are positive things that you can be taking from your life. Like, yes, it's hard. Yes. Nobody's denying that. Like this book does not deny that right, at all. Right. But it says you don't have to live in that. You don't have to stay there. Just give up and stay there. Yeah. yeah. There are other things you can look at and you can decide for yourself. You're at a point in your life where you are like on the crux of adulthood and you can decide what your life is going to be and who, what kind of person you're going to be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to perpetuate it. Like you don't have to become your right. dad. 
you don't have to yeah. you don't have to continue in any of these right. ideas that you see like you get to look at all these different examples and choose the example you can also be the kid that thinks reading is dumb and literature is old white people writing stories or you could maybe get inspired to read Jane yeah. and be the best screamer ever <laughs> yeah right <laughs> And you can even be inspired by baseball, people who are doing hard things mm -hmm. and, and who are becoming great at something, yeah. who are working so hard to be experts in something. And Kara and I were, um, she's a senior this year, and we were looking through a list of 100 classics every person should read in their lifetime. And we were checking off all the ones she's read and all the ones that I'm like, eh, that one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and we came to Jane Eyre and she hasn't read Jane Eyre yet. And then... <laughs> right. But then we were looking at okay for now and she's like, okay, now I really yeah. have to mom. And so it was inspiring to maybe move that one up mm -hmm. the list because of how she connected to Doug and how it, Doug connected to Jane Eyre. And then the same with the Audubon paintings. We have a blank space downstairs in our family room and I've, we've been thinking about what art should we put down there? And then Kira and I were like, oh, maybe we should just do some Audubon for a little bit because it so touched us. It's so... Mm -hmm. It just felt inspiring. We we also, when we read Wednesday Wars, we wanted to go reread The yes. Tempest. Yes. We made a list of all the books that are mentioned in there. And I just think any book that can connect to a child that would make them think, I do want to go read that mm -hmm. classic or I do want to watch a play. Mm -hmm. Don't you feel like sometimes in school, it's cool to be stupid? Yeah, exactly. And so like he's offering a different perspective. It's actually cool to be educated. It's cool to read things. It's cool to see plays. Oh, and when the baseball player, when which book is it where, was it Wednesday Wars where he's thinking, I can't, and the baseball player, no, it's, it's this, this one. one. It's okay for okay now. Okay for now. now. Play. Play. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. and the baseball player comes and he's like, I can't possibly be in this. Like when my hero is sitting here, he's going to make fun <laughs> of me. And, and then his hero's like, I loved that. And I wish I could have done that. Yeah, do what you exactly. do on the stage. <laughs> I was like, yes, that's what every kid needs to hear <laughs> is that sometimes we're embarrassed by something that we shouldn't be embarrassed exactly. by. <laughs> exactly. I have to share one more quote from this. I actually wrote down the almost literal quote from this interview because I thought it was so amazing. In our world right now, it's so easy not to read and to be presented with ideas fully packaged. It's easy to think you got everything you need. Someone who reads is getting past that. You say, no, I'm not going to take the package that's being given to me. Instead, I'm going to try to understand for myself and generate my own ideas myself. Um, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but it's like I don't think a non-reader does it anymore because our media is so good at packaging things so attractively. So for kids, we really need to understand the importance of reading and the need to read many different things. And he lists all different I mean, you see it in his right. writing, right? Like we were saying, fantasy, mystery, nonfiction, drama, poetry. Um, the variety is important. It is. Yeah. And I just thought that was so apropos, right? Mm -hmm. Like we do, we just get our ideas prepackaged. It's so easy. He talked about media. Like you can just listen to a talk show and they tell you exactly what to think. And you think, oh, I already know everything. They just told me everything I should think. <laughs> <laughs> I don't need to think for myself. I don't need to look into it further. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But he throws the literary references in, in a way that's not like a teacher trying to hit you over the head with it. It's not contrived. They just pop up. Right. Right. They spill out. And you can, yep. Mm -hmm. And you can, you can either say, oh, maybe I should read Jane Eyre, mm -hmm. or you can completely miss that and not do it. But it's, it's not, you don't come away with it going, man, that's enough of the lessons, Mr. Schmidt. Yeah. It's not didactic at all. No, <laughs> no. 
No, it makes you curious. Yeah. It makes yeah. you like you. It makes you want to go out and find Audubon's paintings and and see them for yourself. And um, you know, Wednesday Wars. You think uh, maybe there is something to Shakespeare after all. Yeah. And yeah, do you think that's also? It, it's not yeah. like a teacher. It's the voice of a thirteen-year-old boy. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that's exactly it. And because sometimes he makes fun of it, and then I think that makes you curious. So I love the part where he makes fun of the poetry. Mm-hmm. Where he says, you know, there are good reasons to learn how to read. Poetry isn't one of them. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean, so what if two roads go two ways in a wood? So what? <laughs> Who cares if it made all that big a difference? What difference? And why should I have to guess what the difference is? Isn't that what he's supposed to say? Why can't poets just say what they want to say and then shut up? <laughs> and I, like, I know... I, I know all the things, like I'm just thinking of every mom that's reading that and hearing that, but isn't that so typical of like a 13 year old? And then he's, but I love that he's questioning and he's challenging himself on his own ideas on this poetry that he's read. And that allows us to do the same thing. Right. Yeah. That's exactly what I think he's doing. It's, it all comes around. He's like, that poetry, he's trying to say that poetry is supposed to make you have right. questions. And he's got questions. Actually, he does. He has questions, you know? It's just clever. like the stupid paintings until he starts trying to paint them or draw them himself. And he's like, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and again, back to the stupid word. I love that the stupid word shows up in frustration or in misunderstanding. And it shows up because he's needing to grow, but he's having pain and challenge. So there's that that life struggle is happening inside of him and that conflict. And that's how that word is being used. Yeah. And so it didn't bother me in the text and it wouldn't bother me for my junior high, high schooler to read because it's such an emotive, it's, and you're in his head it's too. It's the vernacular right? of his grief and the vernacular of his struggle yes. versus a disparagement of someone or something. It's not being assigned to a person yes. so as to diminish their humanity or their dignity. It's rather the only word he can reach for that expresses his own inner turmoil. So, and a way mm-hmm. to protect mm-hmm. himself, right? Like because he's showing up right. anger, right? They always say yeah. that anger is actually a secondary emotion, to something else. It's not, right. and mm-hmm. it's a secondary emotion to right. something else that you're feeling. So it's showing up in anger sometimes, in frustration, yeah. which is covering a more tender feeling yeah. and emotion your, that your he's grief having, or your fear, and that's or powerful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. 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 And a lot of times it's just helplessness. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the time that he does say something, he doesn't call her stupid, but he says something to, to Lil that's hurtful. He says, oh, so you you know so much or something like that. Um, and it shows that using that kind of language with people really does hurt. Yeah. And it breaks relationships. And I mean, it's it's really yeah. and he reaps that well, it would be so easy for him to follow in the footsteps of his yes. father or like his mm-hmm. brothers you see that with them too mm-hmm. right like so he is struggling with that you see that like he sometimes responds with language that you think like his father might use but then at other times he doesn't because he's he is he's figuring out for himself like what kind of person he's gonna be and actually he says that right where all of a sudden he recognizes i'm sounding like yeah. lucas and when he starts to uh, when he starts to own that that's when he, the two mm-hmm. roads diverge in the yellow wood <laughs> that he doesn't want to talk mm-hmm. about <laughs> and that 
And that shows up early with his first interaction with Lil. Mm-hmm. It's a super humorous kind of interaction and and she can totally keep up with him. Can we talk about Lil? How impressive is this young woman? I mean, she goes toe to toe with him, right? She's powerful, right? <laughs> yeah, but immediately he recognizes when he crossed mm-hmm. a boundary that he's uncomfortable with and he's like and in his mind he said, "I'm starting to sound like Lucas." And then he backs right. it up. Right. And it's like, "Wow, that's that's mature. Mm-hmm. I do think Lil, coming from a well-adjusted family, presumably, um, it does have a certain, well, I think there's a certain strength of character that she has. And I think that Lil is very consistent with Gary D. Schmidt's female characters generally. His female characters are tend to be very strong and very noble. His books may always be, quote unquote, about a boy, but they're actually really about the girls around the boy as well. And the girls... They're, they're heroines in their own right. And I, I love Lil. I love her ability to be generous with him when he is so limited in his ability to, to trust her or treat her well. But there's a desire to, and he sees that, you know, or she sees that in him. She sees that he's not trying to be mean. He's just the product of his upbringing. And, and she helps him find a better version of himself. I love that. How she calls him a thug. Yes. That's hilarious. I just think it's it's fun and it's quirky. And yet she also lets him know when he's crossed lines. Like you're acting like a thug now. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. They both Lil and his, his mom. mom. is wonderful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, well. <sighs> Who do you guys think this book is for? That's what moms are going to want to know. Who is this book for? I recommend it typically to readers 12 and up. If you can... That's how I was feeling too. Age is really subjective, but children who are mature enough to handle the topics of child abuse without, um, it's not a child like called it. It's nothing like that. So I don't want moms to feel scared off. It's definitely not. As we've said before, it happens off scene and it's described gracefully. Um, But these are, I, I tend to say, look for the age of the character and that's probably... The age of the the reader. Yeah, that's how I felt too. Although I think everybody, everybody after the age of 12 is eligible to read this and love it. But there are scenes that will stick in Mm -hmm. your mind. Mm -hmm. We mentioned before the tattoo scene. You know, again, it's not described horribly. Mm -hmm. Like, that's the one thing that I remember from this book Mm -hmm. over everything else almost. For me, it was... The milk, going to get the milk. I just knew the fear. Mm-hmm. I felt the, the fear was palpable in that mm-hmm. moment for me. And that stuck has stuck with me. Whenever I think of the book, I think of the going to get the milk. Yeah. I also think when they picked up Lucas, when he came mm-hmm. home from the war, the scene where they pick up Lucas yeah. also, because you know something, but you don't know yes. what. And when it's revealed, it's a big yeah. deal. So we should tell moms, because we're free to talk spoilers here, so that Lucas has lost his legs in the war. And um, and he... And it's sight. Well, we're not sure yet. His eyes have been damaged and they're bandaged. And they're going to be bandaged for months. And they won't know if he's lost his sight or not. They need He's had burns on his eyes and they need to heal, hopefully. And that's traumatic. And the whole going to pick him up was just ridiculous the way that was all handled and it just tragic the disrespect his father has for all of them is just horrible 
Yeah, the only the only character in the book that is totally um, unredeemed is his father. It seems like even the principal, who's like a uh, as Doug would say, a yeah. jerk kind yeah. of. It, 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 he's not horrible, horrible. And, you know, he has some redeeming qualities. He does make this um, agreement with Doug that he thinks he'll get out of. Um, so, you know, he's not, but Doug's dad, like, there's just, you, you don't see anything good in him And much. yet, the end, yeah, have, I don't know how convicted I am that that really happens properly. He shows some repentance. You don't know if yeah. it's going to stick, yeah. but he, he, he shows some remorse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I think there's yeah. a humility there that I felt was probably something he'd never experienced in his life before. Mm. And that was at least real for the moment. Right. We don't know whether he can maintain this, but he's been humbled. Mm-hmm. Okay, for now. okay right maybe i'm missing something but i thought the father was basically the one who reported his friends yeah so for me like that's a huge deal yeah in my mind it it looks like a turnaround but we don't know i don't know that it's a turnaround but it, it it that's a huge deal that decision for him is a huge deal yes and it's an opportunity for something and it does go a long way in for both his wife and the children and his son, like his son was good. There was going to be bad consequences. Right. If the truth was not revealed. And yet this is the same man who had his son tattooed. Drunkenly. Right. Under the influence of his friend. But Mm -hmm. it's hard for me that he chooses one son and doesn't choose the other. You know? I just thought, I just didn't see it like that. I guess I was looking at it and just seeing his story and, I think once you're an alcoholic, you're using alcohol Mm -hmm. to bury pain that you Mm -hmm. have. And we don't know his whole story yet. And even the mom, she isn't giving up on him and she doesn't seem like a doormat. Exactly. She doesn't, she she knows how she's mad. She's got a way of managing it, but she doesn't come across as a doormat Mm. either. And there's a scene where they're at the company party and she's holding hands with him until the friend comes and then she walks off and Doug sees that. So I, I don't know, like there's still something in that relationship. And I think for me, it's like when the dad finally has the courage to say no more, I, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what the end of the story is. He could make some good choices and fall again and make some bad choices. That's sometimes you're in a cycle, but some people never get to the point of having a courageous moment and making the right decision. Sometimes it's just all downhill. And I just thought it was kind of awesome that the dad in any moment could step up at least one time well, and, and have an impact that was going to save one of his kids. And that he did step up, opens and gets rid of the friend, right? That's the thing the mom was really worried about at the beginning of the book is that you're going to go drink yeah. with him again. Oh, great. So I wonder mm-hmm. then if, if this isn't where his boss also comes in and can now help him. You know, maybe there are ways in which the community mm-hmm. are going to come around this family now that the, that the bad influence is gone. There's a possibility. Yeah, and I can't remember, was his dad also a veteran? I don't think it's ever said. Oh. I don't believe so. Yeah, I don't. I, I'm going to have to read it again. <laughs> <laughs> because I was wondering if there was a of trauma there. Mm-hmm. Well, I think there definitely was. 
and he has that kind of attitude that you sometimes see in people that um have had like a really hard life in childhood where he just blames everything on everybody else and Mm -hmm. you know it's not true like you know his boss is awful Mm -hmm. like everything's just like out to get Mm -hmm. him and and then you meet the boss and you're like your boss is amazing exactly (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's like you know the the man is always out to get him you know Um, well yeah he grew up I don't want to be cynical, but, <laughs> but I, I just, I just, you know, it, it feels to me like these um, battered wives who go back to their, because this time he's going to change mm-hmm. and he's going to be different and he's repentant and he's sorry. And he, uh, I don't know. <laughs> I agree. It's just, to me, it wasn't just an apology. He actually did a pretty impactful action of speaking truth to the police officers that saved his son from prison or jail or whatever was going to happen. And I think, you know, sometimes abusive people are just, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I won't do it again. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I won't do it again. But they don't actually go out and do something meaningful that meaningful that takes courage. And I'm not saying that there's a change or anything. I'm just saying it was a significant act. Mm You know, it was a significant act. And if anything, it shows Doug that his father is capable. Mm. I think it's also something different for the for the future of the family. It's important because his brother has been redeemed in the eyes of the community. Mm -hmm. So whether his Mm -hmm. dad turns around and becomes another a wonderful person now. the, The community who has been really rallying around Doug also sees that the brother is not a thief or at Mm -hmm. least didn't do the things that he was accused of. And so their life in the community can start going a different direction. People can have a different view of him. And and you see that where they all start coming in and taking care of his mother and bringing her flowers and Mm -hmm. and helping and making her a part of the community as well. Mm -hmm. I think the reason I just liked it is because a lot of times when we're in life situations, we think we have no choice. We think we can get to a point where I just am the way I am because I am this Mm -hmm. way. And I think you always have choice. And it shows that his dad does have a choice. Now, whether he continues to choose because we continue to have choices, the same will, so will Doug. So will all of us will continue to be faced with choice after choice after choice. And we get to choose every time what we're going to do with what's been given to us and what's been thrown at us. And we can either be in a place where we're blaming our parents and the government and the world and whatever, and, you know, be whiny all the time yeah. that, you know, I have a favorite quote from the walking drum where Louis Lamour says something like there comes a point where you just, you have to stop the blaming of everyone else because you have to be your own man. Mm-hmm. I just, I love that idea. And so I just, I think maybe that's what I love is that there is always choice, even for people who think they don't have choice and what they do with it is going to be up to them. But I think when our kids can see, it doesn't even matter it doesn't even matter if you get sent to prison and you aren't like physically free or you're, it doesn't matter because you always have choice of mind. Even you always have choice to how you're going to respond to what other people do to you. And I think you see that with Doug, right? He, regardless of what his older brothers did to him or his dad, he still gets to choose what he's going to do with that. And we see Doug sometimes flailing, but sometimes making some really good choices. And that's what I really want the youth to see is you, you do get to choose. I love this book. I do too. It's so good. We could talk about it so much because so much depth to it. And I agree with you. I think, 
I think a mom kind of look over the content considerations, listen yeah. to this podcast and decide if her child is ready for it. But I think in general, like a 13 plus, 12, 13 mm-hmm. plus, it's really good for. And I thought it was perfect for my 17 yeah. and 18 year old. We, we had, we just had some great discussions with us. I think this is one not to rush though. I don't say, oh, don't give it to your child because they won't be ready for it, but rather when they're like, It'll be so satisfying when they're ready for it. This is one where I don't believe in adaptations of Jane Austen. Like, just save Austen until you're ready for Austen. Don't be doing it for (laughs) six-year-olds. That's how I feel about this, too, is if you have a 12-year-old who is an old soul and who is a voracious reader and who can handle these heavy themes, this could be a wonderful book. But it might be even better for a 14 or a 15-year-old. What I'm trying to say is that this also would be just so brilliant as book club because you can't read this book and keep it all inside yourself by yourself. You need to talk to somebody about this book. (laughs) This is one that there's so much to be gained by sharing it with each other. So definitely... This is one I would save for a co-op or for a book club um, or for a parent-child read-together kind of a book, something like that. And I think audio and print are equally wonderful. The audio is extremely well done, but you have to go and look at the plates. So whether you get the book and look at the black and white or you go and look them up. Mm -hmm. So moms, do not fail to go and look at the plates. Go to Audubon's website and look at the plates or get a book of the plates. Um, it's This is too, too good to miss. Ladies, thanks for being with us this afternoon. Tanya and Sherry and Sarah, thanks for giving us your time and your uh, opinions. <laughs> <laughs> Just the way the book struck you, I, I really was looking forward to hearing what everybody thought about this one because I think it's so powerful and beautiful. You know, Diane, I think a number of us here have said that this is our favorite Gary D. Schmidt, but that is not to say that his others are not worth reading because they absolutely are. So we're going to continue on the Gary D. Schmidt path for a little bit, but we're going to take kind of a a turn next month. We are going to read Lizzie Bright and the Buckminster Boy, which was a Newbery Honor winning book. Uh, Because it's important to know some of those characters before we read the book we'll read in October, which is Just Like That. So Just Like That is the continuation of the Holling and Doug story, so to speak. Um, It deals with Marilee. And I will warn moms in advance to go and read our review because there is a jarring, tragic incident that happens in the first paragraph of Just Like That. And then that becomes the theme for the whole book, how things happen just like that. So next month is Lizzie Bright and the Buckminster Boy. And uh, Sherry will be back with us again for that. And then we'll be doing Just Like That in October. And then after that, we're going to switch gears entirely. Finish out the year with some more grown-up books to continue to round out our own reading Um, Letters from a Woman Homesteader, and a personal favorite, Parnassus on Wheels, which is a delightful, delightful, funny, belly-achingly good story to read, especially during the holidays when you just need something light and fun. Sherry, it's really fun having you here in our book club. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for inviting me. Our pleasure. Tanya and Sarah, it's always so much fun having you, and 
We'll be talking with you again very soon for our reading life. Come chat with us. Join us at the BiblioGuides online community, which is a mighty network. You can find the link in the show notes. Totally free. And we'd love to chat with you there. So friends, until next time. <laughs>